Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, everybody. Before we start today's episode, I wanted to offer a trigger warning. We talk about a lot of difficult topics in this episode. We talk about child abuse and the death of children. I also want to say before we start today's episode that I love many people who happen to be named Karen, and I am so sorry that this stereotype has been thrust upon your name. It sucks. Okay, if you will be triggered by hearing us talk about Karens, the death of children, or child abuse, we totally understand if you have to skip this episode. Take care of yourself, everyone. So Casper, instead of a voicemail for you this week, what I have is a teeny tiny clip, a teeny moment, a micro moment from the movie Lady Bird. So here it is. Lady Bird, you can't lock the door. We have one bathroom. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It's just this is the only place I can get any privacy. You really need to use two towels? Uh, no. I guess if you no. need to use two towels, you just have to say because this affects my whole day because I have to do laundry before work and I need to know if there's more towels that I need to wash. I just need one. Sorry. Okay. I'm Casper Tekhile. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is The Real Question. Casper, I love this moment so much because it is so something I would do. It is so deeply something I would do. And it makes no sense. One towel does not change a person's whole day. And yet when I'm stressed, if someone does something like that, I can imagine doing that, which sets up for me the whole stakes of this episode, which is about advocating for yourself and the line between advocating for yourself and becoming this other thing, this 
popularly conceptualized idea of a Karen, right? A woman who constantly is responding to things as if they are high stakes when they are a towel. (laughs) (laughs) But a second towel can ruin my whole day. (laughs) Like, I don't understand. Does their washing machine only hold four towels and this is a fifth towel? And that, like, it makes no sense. And yet... And yet, Ladybird's mom, me too. One extra towel, everything is ruined. It's the towel that broke the laundry's back or whatever it is. <laughs> totally. So with that said, Vanessa, I am really excited to hear about the real question that you're bringing this week. Yeah. So at first, I'll tell you a little story about it, which is about six months ago in the middle of COVID, I was just feeling really sad about the fact that I wasn't being supportive enough of my mom. I hadn't mm. been able to see her in a long time. She was going through a really stressful time. And I also financially was just like not feeling very secure. You know, I things yeah. had gotten expensive and COVID and everything. But I decided I really wanted to get my mom a nice gift. She works at her desk a lot. And she like cherishes little things on her desk. And so I went on Etsy and I spent more money than I felt like I had to get her this like designed mug with a little map from Boston to L.A. showing that we're connected, even though we're far away. And the mug arrived and my mom loved it. And then I was like, send me a picture. And she was a little resistant to send me a picture. And I, I didn't understand why. And then finally I was like, mom, send me a picture. And it was because the map was from the wrong city and it was just wrong. And so I went back and I looked at my instructions because I often am the one at fault for this kind of thing. And I wasn't at fault. And so I wrote to the person and I was like, can you please send the right thing? Right. And they just they wanted me to pay for shipping again. They just pushed back a lot on it. And I found myself getting more and more existentially angsty about how much I wanted to push back. Like to me, this felt like a very high stakes thing. It felt like I was trying to connect with my mom from far away and I wanted her to like feel like it was this beautiful thing. And instead it was a mistake where like she was taking care of me and I also didn't feel like I should have to pay for that mistake, but also it's COVID for this artisan who's trying to make a living, right? And I really didn't know what to do. And the thing that was on loop in my head was like, I don't want to be a Karen. I don't want to be this white lady who is like, you messed up. Fix it. And it's your responsibility. But that is so how I felt. That is exactly (laughs) how I felt. I felt like this is your mistake. Fix it. I'm not giving you $5 to fix it. You fix it. Yeah. Karen in the last few years, right, has become this widespread meme referencing like a specific type of middle class white woman who behaves from a place of privilege. And like the quote that gets ascribed to a Karen is, let me speak to your manager. Mm-hmm. It's this mm-hmm. sense of entitlement. But I want to know as a woman who like we know that women have a hard time advocating for themselves for raises and for promotions in all sorts of settings. So what is the line between advocating for yourself and for what mm. you deserve and being an asshole, right? Like becoming a meme version of yourself. And so that is the question that I am bringing today. 
And I just want to warn everybody that just like you did a two-part episode on evil, I'm going to be doing a two-part episode on this topic because I think race is such a big part of this conversation Mm. that I want to give a whole episode just to the racial dynamic of this Karen conversation. And so we're going to spend this episode talking more about the other elements, the sort of building blocks that aren't race so that we can give that aspect its due. Oh, Vanessa, first of all, I can just see your mom like trying to evade your <laughs> your request for a picture. Like she's such a sweet woman and would just not want to make you feel bad. And so I can see how everyone's like trying to be thoughtful for the other person, but also clear about what they need. You, your mom, the the Etsy creator person. This is going to be a really interesting topic. Also, because I feel like in these situations, often multiple people have very understandable, just perspectives and they clash. So there's the question of the issue itself. And then there's also the question of our reaction to the issue. So I'm really curious about this. Casper, please hold me accountable to that thing that you just said, which is that often everybody has good intentions because sometimes it doesn't feel that way. And sometimes it isn't that way. Another anecdote that I I could have told is that I was 18 years old and I had this boyfriend who I was very in love with and he had gotten into like this dumb pissing match with another guy. So my boyfriend asked me to hold his beer even though there were tables everywhere. And this was clearly a way for him to like claim me as his. And so I said, no. And I made the situation worse because he was trying to look like a big man in front of this other man. But to me in that moment, I felt like my options were to be a bitch to him or to be his bitch. Mm. And that is what it often feels like when you're put in these corners. You're like, I'm given the option as a woman to be a bitch or your bitch. And for me, every time I am going to be a bitch. Screw you. Hold your own beer. I don't care that you feel emasculated in front of this man. You are not going to use me as a prop. Mm. And I think every woman has felt this way, right? And I'm sure a lot of men too, right? Where you're just like, you have put me in a position where over something so dumb, I have to advocate for myself. But otherwise, I'm just letting you treat me like a doormat. And so you look like a raving, self-righteous bitch if you say something. But it's so demeaning if you don't. Mm. I mean, I, I feel like it'll be helpful for this conversation to really put that gender piece at the center. Because obviously there are encounters where I, as a man, have had that feeling of being played by you know, totally. a, a company that's taking me through the ringer. And I I know I'm being mistreated, but I can't put my finger on how to fix it or to get what is right. But I think this question of a Karen, like it is really gendered because there's so much decades, centuries, millennia of the way in which women have been treated that puts women in a certain place in relationships, especially with men or especially in, within institutions of power, where to just assume best intentions means that you're going to get screwed. And so there has to be resistance. There has to be some pushback. And frankly, that can be described as being shrill or bitchy or whatever. And that that shouldn't stop that kind of self-advocacy behavior. And then, you know, on the flip side, we've, we've all seen those videos where someone is being 
completely unreasonable and incredibly self-centered and frankly just morally ugly in the way in which they're riding over other people, often in a service industry context. And, and obviously that's not right either. So is there anything else at play that's worth pointing out at this moment? Yeah. So I definitely think there's a gender dynamic, but I also think that there is this like corporate or like capitalist dynamic here that you mm. started talking about, right? So the thing that can feel high stakes is I'm on my lunch break. I only have an hour for my lunch break and I call Time Warner Cable because my bill suddenly jumped from $50 a month to $120 a month. And that is hours and hours of my wages. And what the heck happened? This was not in my contract on and on. And I've been yes. on hold for 51 minutes and I am a, like about to just lose it in frustration because nobody has answers for me. And at that point, there is this level of frustration where you want to start yelling and you're like, but I know that the person on the phone with me is not even making a living wage. This is not mm. their policy. This is a multi-billion dollar corporation's policy. But I can't have a break in my internet because my child is at home doing home learning because of COVID or whatever it is, right? Like, yeah. So it can just feel so high stakes that, of course, you're going to start saying, let me talk to your manager and screaming. And stakes is such an important part of this conversation, right? It's like the man, like these big corporations or systems, gender is a part of this. And then stakes of like something can be low stakes, but feel high stakes. And also something can be high stakes and yet you have no power, and so mm -hmm. the first text I'm going to bring to you falls into that last category of something being high stakes, but you have no power. And I think gender plays a really big role, too. But I'm really excited to talk to you about this. This first text is from one of my favorite movies, Terms of Endearment. I watch it every year with my friend Nick. We virtually watch it together and sob. And every year I'm like, why do we do this to ourselves? But it's so beautiful and good. It's a 1983 movie. It's based on a 1975 novel by the recently deceased Pulitzer Prize winning author Larry McMurtry. The film won several Academy Awards, Best Picture, Director, Actress, Supporting Actor, Screenplay. It was a very well-loved and received movie in 1983. It's a love story between a mother and a daughter. And the worst possible thing is going to happen, which is that the parent is going to outlive the child. The daughter gets diagnosed with cancer. And so the last third of the movie is watching the mother care for her dying daughter. Mm. And this is just a famous scene from that act of the movie. And I will play it for you. Excuse me. It is after 10. Give my daughter the pain shot, please. Mrs. Greenway, I was going to. Oh, good. Go ahead. Just a few minutes. Well, please, it's, it's after 10. It's after 10. I don't see why she has to have this pain. Ma'am, it's not my patient. It's time for her shot. You understand? Do something. All she has to do is hold out until 10. And it's past 10. She's in pain. My daughter's in pain. Give her the shot. You understand? You're going to behave. Give my daughter the shot. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's a lot. Oh. The first way I want us to read this, though, is from the nurse's point of view. And for her, giving these pain shots is just part of her day. It's like one task in her job. 
And Mm -hmm. she has seen people probably be in a lot more pain than this. And she's filling out paperwork. She's probably doing insurance paperwork, right? Like, it's not like she's not working. And so I'm just imagining her go home to her family that night and be like, I got screamed at by a completely hawkish, crazy woman today. Mm. And yet, we talk about stakes. This is an incredibly high-stakes situation. Her daughter is in pain. Like that Mm. to me is the thing worth losing your shit over. This is not someone asking you to hold a beer. Your daughter is in pain. Like, Mm. I just hope that I would have the courage to lose my shit like this. Mm. I'm wondering what you thought of this scene. I've never seen the movie. So it's a whole new story for me to step into. And, you know, you're so right. You see two, three, maybe four nurses who are all processing paperwork. They're at their desks. And who knows what they're doing, you know, or who knows what they've just come out from, right? Maybe someone has just died and they're just taking a moment. I can just read so many different stories into that moment from the nurse's perspective. And here's someone shouting at me. And honestly, more than shouting, like losing their self-control. It feels frightening to have someone come at you in that way of of just overwhelming sound and physicality as well. It's a little scary. So I understand it's the second nurse that really gets to me when she says, ma'am, it's not my patient. Yes. And I just see both of their points of view. Like this woman's like, I'm not the one who's late. And Mm. like, I'd be stepping on my colleague if I did. But also as the mom, I'd be like, I don't give a shit if she's not your patient. Like what bureaucratic nonsense? Who cares? Like this nurse is just like, there's nothing I can do. And the mom is like, there's everything you can do. You're so right that that's the crux of this scene, because it's it's the moment in which humanity is taken away. The mother looks at this moment is like, you have what you need. Here is a woman in pain. It's literally your job to look after patients. What What is not connecting here? And from the nurse's perspective, I love that you point out the like relational piece of I'd be stepping on someone's toes. There might even be some sort of like protocol of like you're not allowed to treat other people's patients. You're, we become liable to lawsuits like it's so above her pay grade to even engage in that conversation. And both perspectives are fully understandable. And I guess that the real crux of this issue that we keep returning to is what is the stakes? Because if the woman's daughter was losing blood very, very quickly, I don't think the nurse would hesitate, right? It's not a life or death situation. But the pain level, which to the daughter and to the mother are clearly, at, you know, they've been counting down these hours, maybe for 12 hours, right? Maybe all night she's been awake. And this is the moment of relief she's been working towards. That doesn't have the same level of stakes for the nurse because she sees this every day. Every patient has to go through this. And so that that's helpful to me to think about why this conflict comes up time and time and again is that the understanding of how serious the problem is, is different from both sides. Or just for the nurse's perspective, her empathy level is at zero because you can't care this much about every single case or you just are empty by 3 p.m. on your first day. Right. And the sentence that I think gets to that question for me about stakes, Casper, is that the moment where the mom starts to lose it, her name is Aurora, she says, I don't see why she has to have this pain. Yeah. And like that is anger at cancer, right? Yeah. 
that is, I don't see why my 40-year-old daughter, when I'm a 65-year-old woman, has to have this pain. But the the takeaway for me, even after this conversation, is like, I admire Aurora. She does the right thing. The nurse gets up and gives her daughter the shot. And she might have had to wait another 10 minutes. And I guarantee you, this daughter is getting her shot on time from now on. And it's Mm. horrible behavior. It is horrible, horrible behavior. And you bet your butt if either of my daughters are ever in pain, I will use this as inspiration for how to lose my mind. I don't care that it's not your patient. I don't care about anything except that my child is in pain. Am I wrong, though? Is that the wrong attitude? Oh, man, that's tough. Because it's not okay, right? The way that she screams. It's that should never be okay. We sh- we shouldn't treat one another that way. And at the same time, if, you know, someone I loved, if my husband was in that situation, I don't know how I would behave. I am I am able to keep it together when I'm on the phone with the cable company. And I frankly now pride myself and the way I, how I manage that. I always speak with the person's first name. I say, I understand that you're unable to help me with this. Let me talk you through why it's a challenge for me. You know, like I have my whole script ready and like I see it as a challenge now to like withstand the pain (laughs) of dealing with people. But then again, I have the luxury that I'm in charge of my own hours in my job, right? Like I have the luxury to navigate those systems. So I want to be clear about the privileges that I come into that into that challenge with. The thing is, I think if we asked Aurora three hours later, frankly, at the very end of this clip, she contains herself and says, thank you very much. And in that, I hear her regret at the way she's done it. I hear an acknowledgement that what she's done is not how it should happen. She may say it was necessary, but she she doesn't stay in the scream where she comes back and she, she thanks the nurse for getting up and, and going to administer the pain relief. So th- it does feel like there's some acknowledgement that a boundary re- was crossed that she didn't want to cross, but she has. Totally. The thing about Aurora's reaction is that it's always responding to someone. It Mm -hmm. isn't a temper tantrum that is like its own train. It's people saying, ma'am, ma'am. And she's just like, nope, this is more important than ma'am. This is more important. Right. Like, I think that this is all very willful. I don't see her as losing control. I see her as shouting people down. Like there are moments that we acknowledge it's okay to yell at people, right? If someone's walking backwards, waving goodbye, and there's a ditch behind them that they don't see, it is 100% appropriate to go, stop! Right. In fact, you should, you are morally obligated to scream at that person. And this to me seems like a woman who's making a bunch of choices. She's like, nope, it's more important. Don't ma'am me. Nope, nope, nope. And it's just raising the stakes and raising the stakes. I just like as someone who's been on rounds and has like been in nurse meetings as a chaplain, the patients who have people advocating for them get treated better. Absolutely, they do. And so I want to argue and please tell me I'm wrong. I just want to argue that this is a completely reasonable response that Aurora is having. I'm really convinced by what you're saying in the sense that if we saw someone about to inflict pain, we we would shout and be like, no, stop. And I'm seeing this now rather than like a steady state that is interrupted of like her pain medication wears out at 10 a.m. So she needs the new dose at 10 a.m. in order to not be in pain. That I find that really compelling. Maybe the final question I have for you, Vanessa, is, is how quickly she moves from, 
oh, it's past 10. My daughter needs her pain medication to screaming. And I feel like that's another piece of the Karen stereotype is the kind of, at least from an outsider perspective, like the zero to 60 move to unreasonableness or to anger or to shouting. That's maybe one last place that I'd point to in the scene that I feel uncomfortable about because I think there's an intermediate range of like forceful verbal, (laughs) you know, like this is not okay. You are able to do this, right? And maybe this is gendered as well that I'm you know, hearing a woman's voice as particularly angry when actually she is just making that next step. And I I, I want to be careful about that. But yeah, I'm curious how that lands for you. Totally. But just like we did this imagination with the nurses of like what conversation they'll have at home and what dynamic is between them. I'm imagining Aurora in her daughter's yeah. room at 940 being like, this is so dumb. The morphine has worn off. 20 minutes does not make a difference on a biological level. But I will sit here and not complain until 10. The nurse will be in here at 10. And then it's 10.01 and she's sitting there with her legs crossed watching her daughter in pain. And it's like, I'm not going to be the person who complains at 10.01. And then it's 10.02 and 10.03 and 10.04. And so like she has been livid and simmering since 9.30. And she has been correct at every moment, right? Like when the body burns it off is when you need more pain meds, especially with someone who's dying, right? Like we say we're trying to manage your pain. This woman is in a palliative care situation. They're not worried about getting her addicted to anything. There's just no reason except for a policy. So like, again, I'm just like, I totally get it. This is just a dumb policy. I have behaved according to your policy. We are no longer in policy land. And the gender aspect, I think, is totally correct. Like, I I really do believe that Jack Nicholson plays Shirley MacLaine's boyfriend. And if he had come out in his charm and been like, it's 10 o'clock. Can my daughter please have the shot? There would have been a yes, sir. He would have come out at 9.30 and there could have been a yes, sir. And I think that's what you're helping me understand is that kind of curve that I had wanted to see with the mother character. It's been happening, but she's been keeping it in. And that's where the gendered piece is so strong is that women have to manage their anger for so much longer before it's allowed to be visible. Whereas men are able to express that anger much more quickly and forcefully without it being ridiculed straight away. And so it's totally shaping how I read this scene differently because I'm like, oh, she's been keeping it in. And now we're at that level 100 and that's where it's now public. So we don't we don't see that ramp up moment. And she tried, right? She just starts with, it's after 10. Can you please give my daughter the shot? I mean, we only see her try for 30 seconds or less, but she really does try. And it just resonates with me so much, Casper, what you said about how our anger has to sit with us longer. Hmm. It is this fear of being the shrill bitch who humiliates her boyfriend. I don't remember because I was 18 at the time, but I guarantee you there had been a million paper cut moments with my boyfriend that he had done similar things. I remember a little bit about the dynamic that night. He teased me in front of this other guy in a way Mm. that I did not like at all. Right. Like it's just like it's degrading and degrading and degrading. And then suddenly this beer is like about your self-respect. Yeah. And so I guess one of the questions is, is like, how do we let out these like little moments of frustration, like should Aurora have come out at 930 and been like, does she really have to wait till 10 to start that conversation earlier? Like maybe I'm not like trying to victim blame women, but I'm, I'm trying to think through how to empower myself to like 
the moment the frustration hits rather than sitting on it, right? Like 18-year-old Vanessa should have pulled my boyfriend aside and been like, don't mock me in front of other people so that it didn't have to be this public thing. And maybe if Aurora right at 930 had been like, my daughter's in pain. Does she really have to wait? Like, what is the insurance policy? I'll pay the extra $200, right? Like, whatever it is, if she'd started that sooner. And I also want to say that, like, patriarchy is bad for men, too, right? Because if a father was in the situation and came out and couldn't get his daughter the shot for whatever reason, for him, there's, like, this additional thing of, like, his masculinity being on the line, which makes it even higher stakes, even though he's more likely to get the shot because he has more power, more, like, soft power. But because he has more soft power when he fails, it feels like a bigger fall. It's Mm. more humiliating according to patriarchal norms. So I don't want to like pull men out of this conversation. The examples I gave are of women because I'm a woman and I'm often accused of being shrill. But I just want to acknowledge that this is not just a gendered problem. Oh, 100%. I think actually your example with your ex-boyfriend, you know, when you were 18, he probably was very confused why you were suddenly angry. And patriarchy and the dynamics of the gender relationship didn't allow him a closer relationship to you to understand the way in which you were being hurt in all of those little micro moments leading up to that. So I I appreciate that you're pointing us to that because patriarchy is a system that keeps men and women apart as much as women more vulnerable when, when actually we want to be in closer relationship. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So I, I wonder if we should turn to our second text, Vanessa, because I feel like we have understood the problem more <laughs> and, and maybe had some insights, but I think we need more help. What did you bring for uh, for your second text? It is another shrill woman in a movie from the 1980s. This is Mommy Dearest. I have never seen this movie. And yet this moment 
is so famous that I just as a person who cares about movies and likes movies, I could do an imitation of the scene before I ever saw the scene. Like that is how ubiquitous it is. So this is a 1981 movie based on the memoir of the same name, Mommy Dearest, by Christina Crawford about her relationship with her mom, Joan Crawford, super famous starlet of the 1940s. This movie has a cult following. It is considered a horrible, horrible movie. It like won all of these worst movie of the year awards. Faye Dunaway is like said to have given a comedic performance, even though she wasn't trying to give a comedic performance. (laughs) And I'm going to cut off the scene before it gets to child abuse, because eventually at the end of the scene, Joan Crawford starts beating her child. That is not what I'm talking about. Mm. Abuse is not nuanced. Beating your child with a wire hanger, bad. But I am interested in the rest of this scene. So here it is. No wire hangers! What's wire hangers doing in this closet when I told you no wire hangers ever? Till I'm half dead, and I hear people saying she's getting old. What do I get? A daughter who cares as much about the beautiful dresses I give her as she cares about me. What's wire hangers doing in this closet? Wow. You've really brought him this week, Vanessa. (laughs) So, Casper, this is like completely inappropriate behavior. For those of you who haven't seen the scene, her like five or six year old daughter is asleep in her bed when she walks in. Joan Crawford walks in and sees a wire hanger in her daughter's closet and wakes her daughter by screaming, no wire hangers. But what's so interesting to me is the logic of her stakes, right? Like she says, I work and work until I'm half dead and I hear other people saying she's getting old and what do I get? And so for her, she is like, I am an aging starlet. I am not going to be able to work much longer. I work to be able to buy you these dresses and you don't even respect them. And she's mad at the wire hangers because she's like mad at patriarchy and the fact that like Humphrey Bogart got to act until he was dying and like drinking whiskey, you know, while filming the African queen in his 50s. And she's like, whatever, 38 and her career is over. But she's screaming, no wire hangers, right? Like it's so dumb. And this is like peak Karen. And If Aurora's version of being a Karen, of using her whiteness and her privilege and her class and her voice to get what she wants, to demand what she wants, is a kind of Karen that I'm like, do you know what? I'm okay with that. You are advocating for your child against a system that is designed poorly. And like, you have to yell at nurses and that sucks. But like, you do what you got to do, girl. This is a kind of Karen that I want to make sure... I never am. This is like, Mm. right? This is horrible. This is screaming about wire hangers, which I'm not even sure are actually worse for your clothes at your five-year-old who's deep asleep. This is awful. This is awful. And yet it is totally something that I worry I would be capable of a version of. Mm. 
how would you know that you're becoming this person? What would be the moments where you're like, oh boy, I need to be careful? I mean, that $5 of shipping scared me where it like, I don't believe in the principle of the matter, right? Like I believe in dealing with the realities of people's situation. And like, maybe I really could afford that $5 better than the Etsy artisan. Also, like this mug could have just become a joke between me and my mom where I like screenshot. <laughs> Actually, like I didn't make a mistake. You might think that I did, but I didn't. And like she printed that and put it in the mug, right? Like there were so many other modes that I could have taken. And instead I got into this like heated argument about like what I was owed and like, who cares? It's a freaking mug. Mm. I think that the most dignified thing to do would have been to maybe email the person and be like, this isn't a big deal. Everyone is busy. I just want to warn you that you did this to make sure that like you don't do it again. Right. Like or to say nothing, frankly. So like that is a moment where I really like I didn't scream. I was still polite in the emails, but I really pushed back about five bucks. Yeah. This may be a difficult question to answer, but in that moment when you are writing the email, you were clearly trying to be polite and firm. Was there a way in which you were kind of navigating that for yourself of like, I really care about this or do I care about it? Or it's the principle. Like, I'm just curious what kind of questions were in your mind? To me, there were no questions in my mind. I was being motivated entirely by the feeling of like, yeah, I want my mother to feel loved and like she is receiving something nice during this really hard time. And I don't want her to have to make any compromises. And this person is the person getting in the way of that. And like, yeah. that's just not how the world works. <laughs> like, like it <laughs> felt like that, yeah. right? It really felt like this person was getting in the way of my mom, my like mommy who would have yelled at nurses for me if she had to, like getting something nice. Yeah. I mean, what I should have done is taken a step back and been like, it's a mug. <laughs> like, it's just a mug. It's so important for me to be able to vent <laughs> When, when something like that happens, honestly, I had a meeting yesterday that was extremely frustrating and I was so grateful. Like I shared it in an office Slack message and like my colleagues straight away were like, do you want to vent? I was like, yes, <laughs> they just know as soon as I'm using capital letters, <laughs> it's, it's time. I think it's so important. I can't process that on my own. I don't have those levels of skill of like just being able to be like, take a breath, compose myself. Like for me, at least I really need, I need someone to listen and to agree with me about how awful it is. And then like maybe half an hour later, I can get to a place where I'm like, it's only a mug. But I hope you know that I'm always there to call (laughs) when you feel that and to help, help figure out like, is this actually a moment where I'm protecting my child? And I do need to do that. Or is it a moment where maybe it's just a mug? And like, I can write a polite email and say like, if you're able to, I would appreciate if you can replace it. If not, you know, no hard feelings. Yeah. Sometimes I don't even know that what I'm doing is venting until like, Mm. Halfway through. Well, halfway through, I was going to give a time amount and then I was embarrassed about how much time. So thank you for keeping it vague and just saying halfway through, <laughs> halfway through. And so I think that part of what I need to do is name it, be like what I need is to vent. And I'm yeah. very good in certain circumstances about doing that, about being like, am I being unreasonable or is this completely mm. fair? And there are certain people mm. who I feel like I can, I can phrase that too. But yeah, I think I need to be like, okay, I need to vent. I barely need you to acknowledge it, (laughs) but like Mm -hmm. I need to vent. 
and just like know that better. Be like, mug, this is just a mug. This is just a coat hanger. (laughs) I want to offer something and try it on. And if it doesn't fit, no stress. But what you just said about it takes me some time to realize that I want to vent to me connects to what we were talking about, the the anger curve, especially for women. And I, I wonder to what extent you're comfortable naming that you're angry when you're angry. Yeah, I'm embarrassed by how much anger I have. I hold a lot of anger. But why is that embarrassing? Uh, yeah, because I I am like get mad at really dumb things. I got mad at you recently. You know, you wanted to pick up a cake. And I was like, you decided on this podcast that you're going to be super respectful about driving. And you just expect me to drive like and again, I like work myself up to this being so high stakes. I'm like, I I have prepared all these things. I bought ice cream for him. Why does he need a cake? Like it starts to feel like disrespect when you wanted to buy a cake to celebrate and you like wrote nice things on it. It was like such a nice thing you wanted to do. And I know why I have anger, right? Like I have anger because of betrayals in my life and I have anger because systems have screwed me over. And I have anger because I've had a boss that shook me and another one that called me a pain in the ass in front of a lot of people. Like I come by my anger fairly, but therefore I like want to harness it and like let it out in the world fairly. And that's just like not how anger works. I get mad at you for wanting a cake and that is not productive. (laughs) But I really, I think there's something there about like the way in which you have had to learn to distrust the world and you've been proved right to be skeptical about institutions and particular types of, of leaders, for example, and systems. I guess the invitation that I'm hearing in these texts is something about acknowledging that anger earlier when it comes and not to be afraid of it in some way. It's a healthy response to a world that is angering Yeah. I mean, like, I just have this question about like what we should do with our anger. We all have so much anger. White supremacy is on the rise because white men are angry about the fact that they are losing power. And I would say that is like a really inappropriate response. Mm -hmm. Like that is not a healthy anger. And that kind of anger isn't just wrong. It's violent, right? Like to use your language from a couple weeks ago, it's evil. It's ordering the wrong things. It's ordering your own Mm -hmm. supremacy over other people's humanity. And yet anger at nurses is misplaced because it's not the nurse's fault, but it is it is a righteous anger. It is my daughter is in pain because this culture has all the wrong freaking priorities. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to know how to behave when you are confronted with that truth, when you are confronted with the truth that like. This hospital cares more about not being sued than it does about my daughter's health. This is not a hospital. This is a business. And if it was a hospital that cared about my daughter's pain, she would not be in pain. And Mm -hmm. when you are confronted completely with that reality, that is not evil. That is the right order. And what you are confronting is the fact that the hospital is ordering things wrong. And so, like, what are you supposed to do except shout? Scream into a pillow so you're not yelling at the nurses. Go and like barge into the CEO's office and get arrested. Like, I don't know what the right thing to do is. And I would say, right, like 
this like fake Joan Crawford, this fictionalized Joan Crawford is like furious about the fact that culture isn't interested in middle-aged women's stories. And she is again, like evil. She's ordering wrong because she is blaming her child. But that comes from a really like fair place, right? She's worried Mm -hmm. that she's going to become invisible and not be able to make a living. And like that her work won't matter just because she's getting some wrinkles. Like that is deeply unfair. That is deeply unfair. It's just fair for all of us to be mad all the time. (laughs) That's really what I'm hearing is, is like this problem will not be solved by pretending that we're not angry. And particularly the anger that Karen's or that you, when you feel like you're a Karen, you can't just wish it away. That, that, That doesn't work. So the question for me is really about how do we acknowledge and direct and manage that anger? Because it's there for a reason. And we can argue about whether the reason is legitimate or illegitimate, but that doesn't make the anger go away. And what we know not to do with the anger is to tell a black man you're calling the police on him because he you find his truth to be inconvenient, right? Like a hundred percent that we know is the wrong thing to do. So that is what we're going to be talking about next week is like the racial dynamic of this. I brought two white women with one super privileged problem. I'm not going to be able to buy my daughter $300 dresses anymore in 1983. So God only knows how much those dresses would cost now. (laughs) It's like mind boggling. And this other problem that would be totally different if this was a black woman, right? A black woman could Mm. not yell at white nurses like this without being detained by security. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to be talking about that to the best of my ability as a white woman. And I think the question to bring is like anger is reasonable. And even if it's not reasonable, anger is. And so what do Mm. we do with it? Vanessa, I'm always so grateful for you and the way you think through your own experience and the, the questions that come out of that. It's making me think differently about my life. And I'm I'm just really grateful that we get to explore this again next week. So thank you. I'm grateful to you always. And also, I just think that I'm going to be using your evil definition <laughs> in every subsequent episode of The Real Question. It like blew my mind. You can credit Augustine. That was definitely not my idea. (laughs) You taught me it. (sighs) Well, I want to thank Shirley MacLaine for making a temper tantrum so compelling. Makes me cry every time. And I Mm. also want to thank Wire Hangers for creating this like meme that has lasted (laughs) 40 years. (laughs) That is extraordinary. (laughs) And then, of course, I also want to thank you, Casper. I'm very grateful. Mm. And I'm going to start calling you to vent on the reg. Good. (laughs) I look forward to it. And we'd also like to thank everyone who's been sending in recorded life advice. And the first recording we have is from Tamar, who has a beautiful piece of Jewish wisdom that actually feels very relevant to this conversation. Hi, I'm Tamar from New York, and Lo Alecha Hamalacha Ligmor, Velo Ata Venchorin Libatelmimena, which means it is not your duty to finish the work, but neither are you at liberty to neglect it. Thanks, Tamar. And if you'd like to be part of the show, we'd love to hear from you. 
We're doing an upcoming episode on how to experience leisure in a constantly working world. So if you've experienced a time where you've really been able to switch off or just enter into an experience of leisure, please record a voicemail and email it to us at realquestion at notsorryproductions.com. You've been listening to The Real Question. We can only make this show thanks to your support. So if you found yourself thinking about the show after it finished or you've shared it with a friend, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash realquestionpod. And if you love the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes. I love to read them all. And you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at realquestionpod and on Twitter at therealqpod. We are a Not Sorry production. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman and our music is by Nick Bull. We are distributed by Acast. We want to thank Tamar for this week's Maxim, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Megan Kelly, Molly Baxter, Stephanie Paulsell, and each and every one of our patrons. We are so grateful. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, everybody. I'm dropping into your feed to let you know that starting June 23rd, you are invited to a class called Discovering Your Own Patron Saints, a guided workshop with Natalie Folkerts. In this six-session class, you will explore beloved characters from literature who have jumped off the page and made their way into the moral fabric of your life. The first week of this class, you're going to explore what we mean by patron saints, and then each subsequent week will be devoted to a different value, wonder, imagination, grief, and courage. If you are seeking spiritual guidance outside of the constraints of formal religion, if you are someone who finishes a novel and feels like you have said goodbye to new friends, then this class is for you. Register before the first class on June 23rd by going to notsorryworks.com. That's N-O-T-S-O-R-R-Y-W-O-R-K-S dot com.